sisters, come together now, come together now. It's time to help each other out, help each other out. Welcome to the Sword Podcast. This is a platform for sisters to gather and have some empowering conversations. And in the process of these conversations, we help each other overcome some limiting beliefs. I want you to join the conversation. I appreciate your likes, subscribes, and comments. This podcast is sponsored by Stephanie Brown Coaching. If you have any limiting beliefs that are holding you back, feel free to contact the coach at sociatap.com forward slash Steph Brown MD. Okay, I'm going to share a little coaching secret with you. One of the ways that we can overcome our limiting beliefs is by revising our thoughts. With the source saying, we get to choose a new thought that expands us and helps us to rise. I don't know about you, but I can use all of the affirmation that I can get. With so much negativity in the world, I bet you can too. So this week's source saying is, I am fierce and I love the sound of my roar. That's the source saying for this week. I am fierce and I love the sound of my roar. And our topic, being your authentic self in a world full of judgment. Now I get the great honor to introduce my special guest, Rashida George. Rashida George was born on the beautiful island of Antigua and Barbudo, which is located in the Leeward Islands in the Eastern Caribbean. Rashida's family relocated to London, United Kingdom, where she later received an undergraduate degree from Middlesex University before relocating herself to New York City, where she began her career in the helping profession. She later attended Columbia University School of Social Work, which set the foundation for her commitment to supporting youth and families in various systems, including education, social services, and juvenile and criminal justice. Rashida currently lives with her two children in Columbia, Maryland, and works for the government as the Restorative Justice Coordinator. She is also a consultant and small business owner. Rashida has a passion for people. Her international work with youth, families, and striving communities exemplifies her intention to create improvement and change to those who have been underrepresented and often ignored. Welcome to SOAR, Rashida. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a pleasure to have you. And I'm really excited about our topic. The topic is being authentic in a world full of judgment. Uh, so that's that's a good topic because I'm sure most people can relate to that. And another reason that I love this topic is because it took me a while to find my own authentic voice and to feel comfortable using it. Mm -hmm. And now I also coach other women to help them find their authentic voice. So I know how important authenticity is. Right. I would love to hear your story, your personal story, and how you have gotten to the point where you're able to use your authentic voice. So, you know, I was raised, born and raised in the Caribbean. And my mother, we, I, I lived in London. I was also raised in London. So born there, um, you know, many Caribbean people migrated, you know, as people do and come to the States. It's like the place you go to, you know, for greater gain, for education, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the Caribbean has excellent education too. 
So we moved as a family to London. So I was raised there, spent undergrad in London. Um, and then I was done. You know, I'd been to the States back and forth. We have family here. So we come on vacations. I worked in a summer camp one summer. So I, I wanted to be a film director, right? And I went to this, um, this it was like an open house for for people who were living in Europe who wanted to work overseas. It was called Camp America. Some people may have heard of it years ago, many, many moons ago, giving away my age. Um, the director said it really was just working in a summer camp for um, youth children who lived in underserved communities from the South Bronx, Philly, Trenton, Patterson, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey. And so I was like, yeah, I'm in. He said, this summer is going to, it's going to change your life. And I was like, yeah, yeah. For me, I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get out of London for the summer. <laughs> Literally it changed my life. So that was kind of the springboard. You know, I did some volunteer work back in London, but that was the connection to really working with and for families, youth, and those who are, you know, their voices aren't as aren't as loud and or are just unheard, right? And mm-hmm. so that was just the beginning for me. And then, you know, just many years later, from being an educator in New York City, then going to social work school because I felt more of a social worker than a teacher, going into administration, and then deciding that. You know, I really wanted to do the direct care, really needed to connect with people. And so just back in the social work arena, and now I I do, I'm pretty much, you know, a people person and that's my work. I feel like I'm here to serve, help, support individuals. And that's that's it. So restorative justice has become my thing of the past few, quite a few years um, since I lived in New York and, and now I'm out here in Maryland. So... Yeah, that's just a snippet. I could go on and on and on and on. And on. There's all these gaps in between, but that's me in a nutshell. Okay. I have two children and I raised my children here in Maryland. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we're so happy to have you here in Maryland when you could have chosen any place on the globe uh, to settle down and raise your children and you're well-traveled. So it's it's a blessing for us to have you here in Maryland. Thank you. It's great to be here. One of the things that's very authentic about you, you mentioned your Caribbean heritage. Mm-hmm. And I had the honor of going to school with a lot of people from Jamaica or Dominica or different places in the Caribbean, undergrad and medical school. Nice. And it always seemed to me that they had some of the most authentic voices. They spoke up loudly and they were very comfortable in their own skin. And it almost felt like much more so than a lot of African-American women who were raised here. So I don't I don't know if that's just my perception. I just wanted mm-hmm. to get your take on that. How do you think your Caribbean heritage affects your authenticity? So I think it's like middle of the road for me. I get it. I get I, I, people from the Caribbean, in my experience, we're full of pride. And people would say that about anywhere they're from. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I know we're full of pride and we are, we're like vibrant and we are full of passion. And, you know, and so coming from that background, I think, and, and, and very, my family very much celebrated, you know, I come from a family of entrepreneurs also, right? And those like the scholars and the entrepreneurs, right? They were go-getters. 
And so if you think about some of the islands that we're from also, it's based on, they're based on tourism. They're based on, so that brings people to, draws people to us, right? And so it, it's a way that we show our, show off our island. And and I think the Caribbean's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, and so we, and I, when I say we, I'm thinking of all the people that I know and I'm thinking of my experience as a, younger person and and then and as adult who who still visits family and friends there i just i think we are the women in my family too have are hard workers and so they stay they speak up they are they are just they have no cut cards <laughs> they are they're brave right and okay. so for me as a young girl growing up and seeing my grandparents and my aunts and my mom and you know, just hustle and go and go and go is good. And also, you know, there's a little like you're not superwoman in there, right? But, yeah. but for me as a Caribbean woman, I I'm just full of pride. You know, people say, you know, are you from England? And I always tell them I was raised in England. I was raised in London, but I'm from the Caribbean. And I, you know, that's how I introduce people to Antigua. I just told someone that today and they were like, Antigua Bay and I said no Montego Bay is in Jamaica. <laughs> Antigua is and people don't know so they're yeah. like what and so a lot some people haven't heard of Antigua you know it's one of the smaller islands and there's like this Caribbean joke about you know small island people I'm from one of the smaller islands I'm not from Jamaica or Trinidad and Tobago you know the big islands that right. people are likely to have heard of I'm from one of the small small but beautiful small but mighty yeah, yeah, small yeah. but mighty. Yeah. yeah. I love that. And I've definitely experienced that sense of pride in the people that I've met who've been from the Caribbean. And I feel like it's rubbed off too. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes growing up in, you know, westernized places that have a lot of the more white supremacy is what you see. Some of that pride kind of can get squeezed out of you. So I it's was like, going to say that. Yeah. Growing up and having your teacher look like you, the bank manager look like you, everyone looks like you, right? Mm -hmm. And then for me, moving to London, where all of a sudden, none of those people look like me, right? Mm -hmm. That alone was a culture shock, especially as a kid. Like, forget the cold and all of that. And that was, <laughs> that was, that was a kicker. But also just who I saw every day, all of a sudden, they looked so different to what me and my, who my, me and my family are and what we look like, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're raised around that, you also envision and you know, like you start to think that, you know, ultimately the president, the president, the prime minister looks like me, you know, everybody will look like me, everybody in every level of su success and, you know, every plateau of life will look like me. You know, that's the perception until you gain a, you know, perspective or reality of experiencing culturally somewhere different. So, mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Now, the second piece of our topic is about, is the judgment piece. Uh -huh. So how has judgment made it more challenging for you to be authentic? You know, thinking about that, Stephanie, judgment, you know, we create, sometimes we create a lot of that ourselves. So I've learned that I believe we create a lot of the judgment ourselves and then society does a good job for us too. And I wouldn't say a good mm -hmm. job, but they set us up, right? And so there are these societal norms and standards that 
you know, we embrace or we choose to embrace. And that really kicks in that value system for us, right? And, you know, until you've accomplished this or, you know, you look like this on paper or, you know, um, you look like this aesthetically too, then, you know, maybe you haven't, maybe you've got more work to do, you know, maybe that isn't good enough. And so I think we can create that sense of, um, judgment for ourselves. Right. And it, and it can be quite damaging. And also, you know, thinking about, so for me, a lot of that, a lot of the judgment came from me internalizing what I should have, should have, should have, could have, would have, right. Most things at certain points in my life, you know, nobody wants to be, I don't think anybody who gets into a relationship and is a committed relationship in a marriage or whatever, you don't envision yourself be doing it parenting alone, right? That's not what you go into it and things to come out on the other end, right? You know, nobody expects to, for your finances to look very different when you don't have two incomes, you know, and, and your quality of life shifts a little bit because you have to now pay attention to, you know, one salary, you know, the degree that you quite, quite haven't gotten around to completing or doing or accomplishing, right? Okay. So all of these things that are kind of like societal benchmarks that become the voice of your life. Like that's not your story. Your story is your experience, right? It's the things that you go through, the things that good, the bad and the ugly of who you, who you evolve into and what you're experiencing every day. Right. And so being kind to yourself or to myself, let me speak for me. um, And I should start speaking for me, not saying you, that's something I used to say to my students when I was a teacher too. And I find myself doing it. I'm like, no, that's you're supposed to be speaking about yourself. So me, I, Rashida, you know, I had to experience certain things in life, Stephanie, to get to the place of owning my story, acknowledging that that was my truth, that this was my experience and that I was going to own it, you know, go through the hills and valleys, the ups and downs, the highs and lows and just navigate through this thing called life right and i had to like stop caring what people thought you know mm-hmm. the, perception, the perception that people have if you know me you know me and if you care to talk with me i'll be authentic and share right and not everybody but let me take that back a little bit you learn who to share your story with it doesn't mean that you'll be you're not being authentic right but you, you, you know, not everybody deserves to hear your story, right? Yes. Although at some points it can help someone. And if you feel that there's some value in sharing, absolutely. If you think it's going to help and that's me, right? But I, I've realized that not everybody deserves that either. You know, so as long as I know what it is and I'm confident about it and, you know, knowing who to share that with has become, I've become more, um, what's the word? I've become a pro at that, I think, somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. I share it it in circles where I choose to, and I share it when I know and I feel that it can empower somebody else and it's being used for the benefit of others. You know what I mean? Because I think some people intentionally want to know your stuff because they want to use it against you (laughs) and because they're coming from a place of judgment or because they assume, make assumptions about who you are and what you know and, you know, what you've been through. 
No, I think that that is very true. And I think that that is one of the keys to being able to use your authentic voice is that you use it responsibly, right? You mm-hmm. use it when it has the potential to do good and you don't use it when it has the potential to be manipulated or um, used for not good. And that doesn't mean that you are ashamed or you're embarrassed because by the time you get to the point where you're able to use your voice, you've had to overcome some of that. Boom. It just means you have, it. you have discernment and intuition. I like yeah. that. Discernment and intuition. And you're right. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, when you are at that point, you've clearly owned it, right? To be able mm-hmm. to verbalize. So what were some of the things that helped you get to that point? So, you know, there, there are parts of, of my story that I remember. There's something I found out like late in life. And in owning what helped me be able to own that as part of my story was I remember someone shared with me and she said, wow, just think of how much God loves you and wanted you to be on this earth and a part of this journey called life, that even through a horrible circumstance, he made sure that you were born. And that statement really just like wow. stripped all of the shame and the the shame, I guess is what it was, embarrassment away from that and just gave me a new way of seeing it. So I'm just curious how you were able to let go of the self-judgment that you talked mm-hmm. about in order to just be able to own your authentic story. Um, so self-judgment was staying in a relationship that I knew wasn't working for the sake of family, for the sake of creating what I thought, you know, what society makes you believe family is, Right. So trying so hard to make it work when I knew it wasn't got it wasn't heading in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. So spending a lot more time than I the the younger Rashida imagine, you know, like you know, there are things when you were younger, you're like, I would never, and I would, there's no way I would, and and then you become an adult and you experience certain things, and you're like, this is kind of what I said I would never do, but so staying there and and knowing that there's more harm that's being done than good, right? Mm-hmm. And it gets to that point. And leaving that and starting over, right? And it goes back to, for me, becoming a single parent, right? And knowing, no, reaffirming my worth, right? And you know what I did? I moved. I moved to, I moved back to Antigua. I left, you know, I left New York. I was in New York at the time. And I moved back to home. I moved back home because yeah. I still call Antigua. I, I, my friends will say to me, what home are you talking about? Because it's like London's home, Antigua's home, New York is home, and, Mac- and Maryland is home, right? Mm-hmm. So I have these homes and I'm actually quite lucky that I have people that are near and dear and I love in all of those places. So everywhere's home and that's part of my story and it was a humbling experience right yeah. but my children went to you know my children went to private school that I you know I probably wouldn't have been able to afford here as a single parent maybe 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 not right who knows but my children had that experience they we went to the beach all the time because Antigua has 365 beaches that's one of my <laughs> beaches you must go I 
spent time with my parents. I, I, my children got to spend time with family that they never mm-hmm. spent more than our vacations two to two weeks every year with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They lived with these people. They would spend the night with these people. They would, you know, we'd have family gatherings together. So family then became, it looked different, right? Yes. For and it was a different place. And for them, it was an adventure. So while I was picking up the pieces and putting this life back together, my children were having a blast. They were loving it, right? They had a different education. They, you know, they, my my dad cooks every Sunday and he cooks our traditional food. You know, he cooks saltfish and chop up and, and um, plant, boiled plantain and avocado. We call it, we call it pear. We don't say avocado pear. We say pear in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had that every Sunday. It, it was, my mother cooks every, she's still like that. Well, she cooks, like, I don't know how she does every day. But anyway, she may have leftovers Sunday through Monday, but my mother cooks. And so we, we enjoyed that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm so fortunate, you know, my parents built a beautiful house and they gifted me and the children, the downstairs, we had our own unit. So out of that struggle and that headache and that heartache and all of that came something really beautiful, right? And, you know, maybe I wouldn't have, not maybe, I would never have moved. And, you know, now I think about retirement and moving there and, you know, building some house and doing stuff, right? But I would never have, you know, given up my job and just moved if I hadn't been through that experience. And so that was a blessing for me and my kids. Right. And and my family, we got to love on each other in a different way for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. So that was that point in my life where I then became much more brave accepted the things that I had myself created in my mind that were, this is what life is. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to look. No, sis, it doesn't look like this now. So what are you going to do? Right. So picked up those pieces and did what I had to do. And it was a, it was a great break. I worked for the government. I had a great job. I worked with some powerful black women. I was amazed. Right. And then I came back here and there you have it. And so that time too was so refreshing for me because it was a combination of, you know, feeling like I'd hit rock bottom and then, and then, you know, just floating to the top and feeling great about being where I was. The sun was shining, the sun shines every day. It's like 85 degrees on average. I mean, come on. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> so you need to. You need to. Um, the world is opening up. Listen, Antigua, here you here we come. But yeah, so so that that experience enabled me to really think about, you know, who I am, what I want, what I want, you know, you know, really I just kind of rediscovered myself at that time. And yeah. it's been it's been a journey since then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful how you talked about how you went back home. And I think that happens to a lot of us, whether home is a metaphysical space or an actual physical place. Sometimes you get into these situations in life and you just have to return home Mm -hmm. to fuel, to recalibrate, to realign and just re-envision what your life is. And, you know, that's the beauty of, of home. 
yeah, whatever, whatever that is for you. So I would also, you mentioned about your work in restorative justice. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear about what you do as a restorative justice coordinator. Sure. So I work for the government as uh, a restorative justice coordinator for one of the government agencies. So it means I work with a few of the other sibling agencies under the public safety, health and human services clusters of DC. And so my job, so restorative justice, and I always have to, it's important to always say this, that restorative justice originated from our native brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and our African ancestors, right? We community, it meant that the answer is in our community. We have the answers to all the problems, issues, concerns, and we can solve and and heal ourselves in our communities, right? When you Mm -hmm. think about, so in restorative justice, we typically, and restorative justice isn't circle, but when you think about the circle process, which is one of the main processes that, um, I'll say RJ, because that's how I get into conversation with uh, work too, we call it RJ. So when you think about us, us meeting, we sit in circle. When you vision, when we've seen, you know, the natives or the chief of a tribe, typically people are sitting in circle, right? And there's a fire or there's something that grounds you. When you look at a restorative justice circle, it's set up, of course, in a circle and there's a centerpiece in the middle, which is, you know, that's the indication, that's the representation of the fire or the thing that's grounding us and bringing us together. So that's a visual, right? And so restorative justice is a philosophy and it's a a philosophy and a practice. So it's a social contract. It's how we see um, ourselves as part of a community. It's how we help to heal one another. It's how we how we make the the wrongs right. It's how we have conversations and how we support one another to be inclusive in our problem solving, right? And yeah, it's really a way of having conversation. It's just a way of being and doing. Right. And so I'm truly passionate about it because I've been able to use the, the, the practice and the philosophy with in communities that have been severely harmed by violence with young people who are victims themselves mm-hmm. and are now seen as offenders. And quite often our offenders were and are victims right so you know using it as part of the justice and criminal justice system also we we know that black and brown young youth and and adults are disproportionately arrested for crimes that other races are not right Mm -hmm. and so how do we help them have conversations about their experiences and also, I want to say that restorative justice for those, for us who are practitioners, our goal is, and we all we all want to say that with pride, that restorative justice is a new way of justice, right? What does incarceration and rehabilit what is rehabilitation and what does incarceration really do, right? Or how rehabilitative rehabilitative I never say that word correctly is incarceration, right? And one thing about admitting that you may have done or you did something wrong, it's not always the easiest thing to do, right? No. Says 
Exactly. And people take that for granted. The process creates a space where people are encouraged to acknowledge that. And one of the, one of our pillars, the main pillars is accountability, right? And so how accountable are people for their actions, for what they say and they do, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, we're hearing, we're hearing it as a buzzword now, right? And a lot of people say it, but are they doing it with fidelity? Do they pay homage to its history and origins and the people who've been doing it? And I can't forget the Maori people of New Zealand also. You know, we those that's just the way these people held their communities and how they supported one another and how they problem solved. So really what we're doing is we are going back to our roots and we're using the practice in ways that it was used just every day. Mm. Right. But because we've been so conditioned to be so punitive, mm-hmm. right. And used the law to destroy lives that nobody deserves their life to be destroyed, but really destroy some lives because of the racist and white supremacist land that we live on. It's just unfortunate. So there has to be another way of doing justice. And mm-hmm. so this is it. Wow. Now that's really, really deep. And it's very antithetical to a lot of the conversations that are happening now. I was just listening and they were talking about, do you support, given what we know now, do you support the death penalty? Right. And this was a conversation amongst black people. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people, I was shocked, were calling in saying that they did. And, And one of the arguments they gave was, when it happens to my family member, I want them punished. I want them, you know, annihilated, I guess, killed. Right. Um, I can understand that it's up for debate in other circumstances. But, um, yeah, there were a lot of people who, black people who still believed in the death penalty, knowing that, and and the statistic was presented, I think, that at least 3% of the people who have been executed with the death penalty have been found innocent afterwards. Awesome. Uh-huh. And people, and they were saying, well, that's still, those are still pretty good odds. That's only 3%. So I was, I was shocked at the conversation. So what do you do with that mindset when you're trying to work with restorative justice? So you think about, you know, the value. So if it wasn't your, family member, then what would it look like, right? I don't know if you'd be able to find it, and I'm not sure. Van Jones did a uh, series on, was it H- CNN, HBO? I can't remember. It's called The Redemption Project, right? Mm-hmm. And it was it took years to prepare, but basically this was a project that showed that where victims of crime, it was a lot of, I think most of the crimes were murder and I've forgotten murder. There was a a really bad car accident also where someone became a quadriplegic, but basically these victims had experienced or been, or family members had been victims of some heinous crimes. Right. And so what, what he did was he found men who were incarcerated and they were all men who were incarcerated as the, as the offender, right? And so these men were serving time. And what he did is is prepared 
these individuals to be able to be part of a restorative justice conversation, right? And of course, it took a lot of prep. If you, I'm hoping you can find it, but just to see the power of... So this is what happens is with the restorative justice process, you are encouraging people to share their story, right? When you give someone the opportunity to share more of who they are, hmm. not that you have to forgive. It's not about forgiveness. That's totally up to you. That's not the goal of why we do what we do. It is offering that space. And as a facilitator, creating that safe space for a conversation to be had now it doesn't happen overnight sometimes there's a lot of prep that goes into it right and so imagine that i know for a fact that there was a lot of preparation done facilitators facilitators meeting with families etc etc over months to talk about the impact right because what you're doing is you are you're allowing everybody to share their story the victims are listening to the offender talk about their story right the offender is hearing and listening to how the crime or whatever was done impacted this family now in the typical in our typical justice system you don't always get that opportunity right the the offender often doesn't even have a voice right mm-hmm. we need to hear from you we're going to hold you accountable this isn't light and fluffy stuff it's deep stuff right mm-hmm. and what happens is it humanizes that individual, right? When they start to tell you their story and you hear about their childhood maybe and some of their trauma and it doesn't excuse their crime. What it does though is it puts a face on it, right? It gives that person, there's another story or two or three that you know about this person's entire life story, right? Mm -hmm. The time when they were here, the time when this person did this to them, the time when they experience this, right? And there you have it. You know, yeah. so so it's not about excuses. It's about the story. It's about the fact that we are all humans and we all have had experiences and it doesn't excuse anything, but it does, it creates opportunity. That is really a wonderful way to kind of wrap back around to our topic because our topic is authenticity. And when I think of authenticity, I think of being able to tell your story, your authentic story. And I was going to ask about the value, but you just demonstrated the value. The, the value of authenticity is being seen as human and it's connection, being able to connect to another human being and also being the person who's able to share their story gets value and being able to just share who they are and not be defined by this one moment in time where they committed this crime. So there's so much value in being authentic and being able to share those authentic stories. So that was a, a wonderful connection to our topic. Mm-hmm. No problem. One of the other things that we talked about recently when we saw each other was racism mm-hmm. and how even in this beautiful, diverse area that we live in, Maryland, you know, and specifically our community, that racism still exists. And I just wanted to ask you what your experience has been with racism. So, you know, I, growing up in London, I experienced it. You know, there was covert, overt, you know, 
kind of conservative where I lived, whatever. So it was a lot of it was, you know, covert. But here, you know, I, I think I find myself going back to, is this racism? Oh, not not necessarily creating an excuse, but on just walking around and not feeling that you're pulling the race card because we're not acknowledging that this is what it is. Right. And not having to ask, ask myself and think about it, you know, and, and try and intellectualize it. Like I do some things or like we naturally do. Right. No. So part of my, part of my recent, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it political, but I guess it was a public office. It was a position in a public office, you know, mm-hmm. part of that experience was being, an opponent to an incumbent who's white and also being on the receiving end of an email that was sent out, which was a disparaging one. Mm. But what it did is, and I remember saying to my, my friends, like these microaggressions, she said, would you stop? This is racism. Right. It's not a microaggression. She's very clear in saying that you, your run is premature Right. And first of all, you don't we don't just run for things just for the giggles and for, you know, a, a little bit of fun. You're giving up time away from your family. Exactly. You're, 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 it's very taxing. It has to be because you see the value and you know what you have to offer and that this is something that you're passionate about. and You want to do. You want to serve. Right. Mm-hmm. People don't do this because they well, I certainly don't. And I'm. I know many people who don't do it because they just don't have anything else to do. It's because right. they're going to carve a, a carve a space out in their life because this is what I want to offer my community, right? And the judgment that came from that was about, you know, well, the comment, the racism was that my run was premature and that I couldn't understand, no, and that the, the 200 page uh, financial breakdown, the document, there was, it was a 200, which is difficult to understand. Right. Mm-hmm. So that alone was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. what exactly are you saying? Right. And then I just wondered, would you have said this if your opponent was a white woman? And I just don't, in my core, yeah. I just don't feel that. Right. Yeah. And so it was like that, hit you in the stomach, kind of like, yeah, I'm here. I've arrived. Does it hurt? Yeah, it's real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very recent. And I remember being so angry. And then I, you know, I was on my bed one day, and I was just sitting and I was thinking, people go through this every day, right? This is a life that so many, so many of us live. Some people walk into workplaces every day from nine to five and have to deal with this. Our brothers and sisters are experiencing this in many other spaces and places, right? Right. But because, you know, this is not utopia. It exists right here on my doorstep. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so I had a taste of that. And then I also had, you know, individuals posting stuff about who I was and my past, right? And Mm -hmm. I saw you, Stephanie, this is what happened was, Friends of mine, I was sitting, I was working actually, and I received a couple of texts. Hey, how you doing? Call me, whatever. And I was like, oh, these are nice, warm, loving texts I'm getting oh, from right. people. I had no idea that there was a post, a negative post about me, right? And so I looked at it. 
No, and then I just opened, I was on a break and I just opened social media and I dropped my phone. And I was yeah. like, you've got to be kidding me. And, you know, I refuse to, to take on this whole politics is a dirty game thing, right? Which is true in yeah. some aspects, right? And then maybe, and then, you know, part of my narrative was, this is just a little, my little village, my little space in Colombia. This isn't, I'm not running for Kamala's position. You know exactly. what I mean? So, so, yes. And I remember a sister calling me and um, I just started crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I needed to get it out. And it yeah. came from that first email. And then it came from that post. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I, my energy shifted. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm over this. You know, but again, I'm, you know, raised not to quit. I'm not a quitter. I, you know, I sign up for something. I say I'm I'm trying to do and fulfill all the things I say I'm going to do and see things through. And this isn't about me. It's about service, service and helping and doing and being here for my community. I signed up for this, you know. So, you know, I had great supporters but that experience definitely was an eye opener. And that was most recent. That was just a month ago. So yeah. there you have it. And and I'm not, you know, you can't make excuses when it is, when it is, if it quacks, it's a dog, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, going through that mental process, that's exhausting of having to try to figure out, is this a microaggression? Is this racism? Yeah. And that's part of the privilege that a lot of people don't realize that they have, that they don't have to even go through that exercise. And it's, and it's traumatic even having to process if it's racism is traumatic. And then realizing that it is and having to process that it's just so much. It is a lot. And you said that I was so tired. Although I was door knocking and talking to people or whatever, I'm used to exercising. I'm used to being out. I'm used to do, moving, right? Mm-hmm. The exhaustion came from that mental piece, that, right? Yeah. And I was exhausted for a week after that. Mm-hmm. I was just exhausted. And mm-hmm. I know it was that experience that took it out of me. So when we think about racism in, a, in just a broader, larger perspective, but when we think about how deeper and even more hurtful the experiences are of individuals, just imagine how they feel every day, Right. Right. Just imagine when they have to wake up to go to a job, maybe with a racist boss mm-hmm. or racist co-workers. The cold, the, you know, the overt stuff. Right. Just imagine. Absolutely. It's it's exhausting. It, it's exhausting and it's harmful. And that's mm-hmm. why the American Medical Association finally um, declared that racism is an independent um, negative re- risk factor on your health. Because it is, um, no. it is. Uh, but I just want to say, just congratulations for running an amazing race and for Thank having you. the courage to Thanks. step up. You know, because a lot of us want to do things, but you know, we're like, we don't have time. We've got jobs. We've got kids, and you have all of that, but yet you mm-hmm. still st- stood up. And I'm Thank sure you. that there are many victories in your future. Thank you. Thank you. And, the, and you know, the, it, there were many victories in that process, too. I have I had a ton of support. I met some phenomenal people 
I had great people who would offer to just door knock and walk with me and hand out flyers and, you know, just people that weren't directly related to me. They weren't necessarily a friend. They were a friend of a friend or someone's husband and just just folks. So the win was the connections with new individuals and people who I now call friends and and, you know, and 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 some phenomenal community leaders and people who are doing good and will continue to do good and who I will now support even more so than I have. So that was my, that was my win too, you know, more than anything, that was the win. Yeah. And, and that's a powerful win. Yeah. Thank you. So on this show, I always talk about limiting beliefs Mm -hmm. and you, you know, you're in a unique position. You, you ran for a a political, uh, a political position and before the racism, when you were considering running, what types of limiting beliefs did you have to overcome in order to even push yourself to that point where you were willing to do it? Thinking about the time that I had, as you know, I'm a you know parent of two children, a somewhat demanding job, making time to do this on top of all the other responsibilities because it was something that was, you know, and then just can I do it? Can I really, can I just do this whole campaigning thing? Can I, this is like, <laughs> this isn't the average Rashida. So a lot of my friends think I'm an introvert. They're like, you, <laughs> what? like what? You know, I mean, of course, when I'm passionate about something, you won't shut me up. That's what I'm about, you know, RJ and other things. And, you know, because it's something that I wanted to do, it got, you know, I, you know, I developed the willpower and the strength and the energy I find it to do. Right. But, you know, I did feel that there were times when I felt like I, you know, I wasn't connected enough or, you know, there were all these things that I wasn't enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe I should blah, blah, blah. And all this, which I knew that I, I had it, you know, I got it. You got it. Mm-hmm. You need to just get out there and do it. But just, the limits were stepping outside of my comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. Even using social media more than I'm pretty much I'm a private person. I have social media, but I post every, my friends joke. They're like, they're like you're like a creeper. You like, but you don't post, <laughs> you know? Like you like everything and you post, you know? And my friend, she jokes, she's like, I feel like I have to send you pictures of me and your godchildren, like we're dating because you don't, you just about get on social media. When you do, you scroll and you like pictures from weeks back. So that's <laughs> no, right? That, I'm that friend, right? Mm-hmm. But you call me and we can talk and we can text, whatever. So I started using social media more. So there was, you know, so it's like being exposed to the world even more so. And when that exposure is negative too, feeling yeah. that was almost a hit, right? It was another hit. So stretching myself, more than I imagined I could. But but having done it, I know what I need to do to make other things happen now. You know? Yeah. You create that space, you organize your life differently, you prepare dinner like early on, earlier in the day, you woke up and you cooked instead of like scrambling at the end of the day before door knocking again. You know what I mean? No, yeah. so I haven't been doing all of this. But you know, it's more of like, how do you, how do I, what do I need to do to make this happen? Right. Instead of finding the limit, the, you know, I don't think I can really do that because I've got blah, 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 blah. It was, what do I need to do? 
right? The kind of stuff I help other people do that I don't do for myself, basically. Yeah. So that was the um, knowing that there, you know, there, there's um, there are always possibilities, and you just have to create the space to, you know, let them just appear. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that that is awesome. I love that. I love those examples of what you did. So the limiting belief was I don't have enough time. Yeah, I don't have enough time. I, you know, I, I already have so much on my plate. I'm asking for help. Yes. Accepting help. Yes. You know, what are you doing? I can door knock for you or with you, whatever. Like, are you sure? Are you serious? Oh, no, don't worry about it. I can do. No, I got it. Just mm-hmm. be aware. Accepting help. And knowing Absolutely. that there are people, people are not going to offer if they can't do it. They're offering for a reason. So accept. Yep. Yeah, oh, that, that is good. Those are some gems, gems you just shared. So as we come to a close, I just wanted to ask you, what advice would you give my audience about being authentic in a world full of judgment? Thinking about being honest with yourself about your story and everybody's story is different. We're all so different in so many ways. We're all so similar in so many ways too, Right. But everyone's story is different. And so when we get to a place of being able to fully embrace the highs and lows, you know, the swings and the roundabouts, the rough and the smooth, it's like freedom, right? It's like you don't, you're not pretending to be the, all right, we're up with some of us, you know, in professional positions or we need to handle business in a certain way, right? And that's work, right? But you know, behind all of that, there's this person. And I still think we can be authentic at work too. But that's my my whole, you know, my, my thing in my job. Everyone's job is different, right? And there are certain expectations. But I think that there's something to be said about owning your story and acknowledging that we aren't all perfect and that society sometimes sets us up to measure ourselves against who. You know what I'm saying? And there are so many victories like we see just as I referred to that win. Right. I can also I could also have said I, I lost a campaign and blah, 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 or whatever. No, there was a win. And this is where the win. <laughs> this is where the win. The win is was, you know, and will continue to be. So and, and judgment, you know. Your story is your story. Your experience is your experience. And there will always be judgment from somewhere from someone from you know and i think that the building confidence you know confidence comes from knowing who you are right and accepting who you are what you look like what you speak like you know the color of your skin the shade of your hair whatever right i can only say and this is from rashida's perspective i developed that authentic voice when i allowed myself to just be and just let go Mm -hmm. and it and it you know for me it was not the best it wasn't the happiest space at that time but i worked through it and that made me a better person and that made my voice louder and that made me accept things that have happened and things that were going to happen because i was going to make things happen right Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that for myself and 
you know, I share this with you and I share this with, and you will share this with who, who knows who listens to this, right? But hopefully this story will help someone, you know? And I, I wouldn't say I would necessarily share this with any and everyone, right? So, yeah. I have so many thoughts in my mind. Stephanie could be talking about this for the next hour, but we don't have enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can later on. We've always got time, but yeah. Right. For the sake of the podcast, yeah. And I believe that it will. I believe that what you shared will. Um, I think this is this is good soil that we're planting in and that the message that we're sharing is going to help a lot of people. And you... I think that when I when I went on your social media, you also have a business. Is that is so I have a few, right? So this okay. is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing, right? Just as you said when we were talking earlier, that time in my life when I was away in Antigua, it also empowered me to do the things that I love to do. I was give I had the time to be creative, mm-hmm. right? I love to create things, like I love to make things. My mother loves to bake. My mother's like the best cook ever. She loves to bake. Like every, my mother bakes a cake. When we were kids, everybody had a freshly baked cake every birthday. My mother never has never bought us a store-bought birthday cake. All right, I'll do that as my, I'm, I'm a mom. I've done that, you know, but that's, the, that's my mom. But so I say all that to say that I, I was raised with my grandparents too and my grandfather he would make fresh juices right so I have a and right now so going back so I put everything on hold for those couple of years I started then my focus became coming back to the states rebuilding and getting employment finding a home is how I landed in Colombia and here we are right and so at this point in my life over the past year it was I was like reignite everything again Mm -hmm. you know get back to it so my juice company and ironically i had a meeting yesterday with the person who's helping me develop the website and all the other stuff and a brand strategist last week so alfonso's beverages alfonso is my grandfather um, rest in peace this is basically you know his legacy he was a community person he was he helped individuals he loved making juices and I would do that with him as a kid. So this is that homage to my grandfather and his legacy of helping others. So some of my proceeds will go to two nonprofit organizations, a certain percentage. And so and to beauty with love is my vegan beauty care, which okay. is which is actually I started um, when I was living in Antigua. So that everything is so fun. Everything this summer will be launched again. Those those two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time. It's goal time. It is goal time. So I've really been pouring into that and um, and really been connecting with some fierce women. So those two will be launched very soon. I do some photography actually this weekend. And then uh, a restorative future, I, I, you know, that's my consulting business for restorative justice. So I actually work with some government agencies nationwide to help implement, infuse restorative justice practices into their business structures and into the, some of their systems. So, and I've just, I'm working with some phenomenal individuals who really want change. And so it's called the Institute for Restorative Future, but the website is restorativefuture.org. 
Wow. So there you have it. So I'm just goal time. It is goal time. And, you know, I'm in a good place and my creative juices are flowing and I just love to make, you know, so I spend my time just making things, you know, that's it. So that's, that's a little bit about me outside of kids and baseball and volleyball. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I find some time to do that. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, you yeah. are fully expressing yourself in all of your there you go. dimensions, which is, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. So how would we follow you and stay connected so that we will be able to participate in the launch of well, your juice you. business and your vegan skincare business? So to beauty with love is on Instagram, right? It looks very bare right now. We'll let everybody know, but tune back in that follow me by all means, but it's going to look so different in a, in about five to six weeks. Um, okay. To Beauty With Love and Alfonso's, that's A-L-P-H-A-N-S-O-S, Alfonso. We, they say Fanso, it's the way we say it in Antigua. His name was, they, they would call him Fanso, but it's Alfonso's Beverages. That's okay. on Instagram too. Um, follow me there. And then the websites, the Shopify websites of purchasing is being built out right now as well. So all of that is in the works. I'm truly grateful for the phenomenal woman who are helping me to really... Um, get this get this up and running finally you know i've been selling i have an etsy store as well for to beauty with love where i just sell some of my product where i've been selling mainly that's where i've been selling but i need to put it in pull it in put it together and kind of professionalize the site and you know make it my own instead of paying etsy or i am excited i will be following all of your sites and i'll be looking forward to the launch and how it transforms well, this this has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing so transparently and no authentically. No problem. You are more than welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, uh, thank you. And I will talk to you soon. You will. Take good care. Thanks for conquering those limiting beliefs on another episode of the SOAR podcast. If you want to reach out to my guest, just check out the show notes and all of the contact information is there. If you want more information about Stephanie Brown Coaching, go to www.stephaniebrowncoaching.com. And I'm sure you're already following the SOAR podcast Instagram page. But if not, just go to IG and type in Sisters Overcoming and Rising, all one word. Goodbye for now.